a lot of people come in in this state of, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough confidence. I don't think I have the skills to go to that next level in my career, et cetera. And I can confidently say that once people go through the exercise of optimizing their resume and optimizing their portfolio, they get that confidence back. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Today's episode is brought to you by Writer, an all-in-one AI writing assistant for teams. Writer allows teams to create a single source of truth for brand terms that is easy to build, edit, and share. It integrates seamlessly with Chrome, Google Docs, Word, Outlook, and now offers a plugin that brings automated brand consistency directly to Figma. Go to writer.com, yes, that's W-R-I-T-E-R.com, and see what Writer can do for your team. Hello, 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 and welcome everybody to another episode of Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, which is an online education platform for UX writers product writers, content designers, it doesn't matter how you call yourself, as long as your job is to communicate digital products, we're here to teach you and help you in your journey. My name is Yuval Keshtecher. I am the founder of the UX Writing Hub. And today I have a guest, which I, on a personal level, I'm a fan of for a lot of years now. Her name is Sarah Dodi. She's the CEO and founder of Career Strategy Lab, which is, I would say, a reincarnation of a company that I knew she's running related to helping people to build their UX portfolios and so on. And today we have her. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hi, Val. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I've been waiting for like one year to have you and I'm so happy that it's <laughs> finally happening. That's amazing. It finally happened. <laughs> fin- finally happened. So tell me, what's your background is like, Sarah? My background, you know, I started in user experience in the early 2000s before I even knew what user experience was, to be honest. I was studying kind of graphic design and web design and honestly teaching myself. I'm pretty sure I've never taken any type of design course in my life. And, you know, at some point in designing websites, I realized there has to be someone that like is the go-between from the designers and the developers to make sure what we thought we were building is what we're actually building. And long story short, that led me down the path of kind of information architecture and then user experience design. I worked at some startups, a big kind of technology company. I freelanced, did my own consulting for a while. And yeah, now about five or six years ago, I started in the world of online UX education, really specifically around portfolios. And now that has evolved drastically into really, you know, I kind of refer to what I do as like a startup accelerator or incubator, but for your career. And that's what Career Strategy Lab is all about. We kind of incubate you through that job search journey, which can be so daunting and challenging and bring up a lot of questions and feel like a very solo journey. And we help people do that faster and with way less stress. So that's what I'm up to these days. All right. That's amazing. I think it's like so great 
that we have people like you that's helping people in their journey. The UX Wedding Hub also, I feel like we meet with a lot of people that have so much potential, so much like they have so much talent in them. And it's very common to have to those people to have that imposter syndrome mm. that they just needed like a small nudge, basically, and, and like nudge into the right direction. That will tell them, hey, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. Exactly. Your work, this is your portfolio. Now we will strategize how to build this portfolio and and slowly but steady we'll get there. Yeah. And no, it's it there's so much irony in what I do, I think. And and let me know if you see this irony. But in our day jobs, you know, we think about the strategy and the why behind things and the users, etc. And then when it comes to a resume or a portfolio or even heck your linkedin profile i think a lot of people and not just ux people but just everyone to use a blanket statement people don't think about these things and so once people have this mindset shift of oh if i just apply this ux process that i apply every day to this big problem in my life it makes it a lot easier and it's definitely true so tell me what would be, let's say that someone reach out to you right now, they want to get into UX, land their first role or find maybe their next challenge in UX. What would be your first step to tackling that? To kind of clarify that, I think we have to understand, how, does that person know anything about user experience yet? Like, you know, is it someone that heard about it a couple of weeks ago or months ago, or have they maybe been in a industry that has some parallels. So like psychology or occupational therapy, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So to understand like what is their background is like, first of yeah. all, and the amount of understanding they have to this field. Okay. Yeah. So let's go with that, what I would call a career switcher, that person who yeah. has been working for a while, maybe honestly has been doing user experience in their job to some extent, they just don't have the title UX or they didn't have like words for what they did. Because for example, I've seen a couple of architects and occupational therapists come into our career strategy lab and a couple of them got hired, a couple of them are in the process of getting hired, but they're great examples of people who have been working in careers that involved a lot of things that we do in user experience. You know, occupational therapist, there's a lot of research that goes into that, right? There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of really design too. You might be designing experiments. You might be designing, you know, quote, user flows. And so for those types of people, even teachers is another great example of people coming into user experience that have an enormous amount of transferable experience. And so for them, the first thing I would recommend them to do is look at what you've done in the past and identify certain projects you've worked on that you could turn into projects to talk about, you know, in an interview to demonstrate these skills. So one example I always use is there was a teacher who was responsible for developing curriculum. So when you're developing curriculum, you know, there's a lot of research involved, there's design, there's the student journey. And so I said to this teacher, look, you don't need to go invent some app to design as a project. 
go look at what you did with this curriculum project and turn that into like a research and, and strategy project. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So someone just have background building curriculums. They did some research. They did some strategy. They designed something that is not maybe UI. That is not user interface. But yeah. there is so many things that they already did that's related to designing user interface that they could talk about it in, in a job interview, for example. So help them to kind of define it and then help them to find a way to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, these projects are so valuable because... They are things that the person did in the quote, real world. And so you would have the ability to talk about, you know, maybe some stakeholders that were involved that you had to kind of manage or coach along this, you know, project you worked on versus you brainstorming an app that you think is cool and just going and making that, you know, not even making it, just like making a conceptual version of that. To me, it's a lot more powerful to talk about, you know, in my previous career as a teacher, here are examples of how I did, you know, research. And then I designed this course and I thought about the student journey. And in the journey, we added like these check-in points to make sure that the students were actually retaining the knowledge. And I'm not a, well, I kind of am a teacher. I was going to say I'm not a teacher, but other teachers who are trained, you know, have a more, what's the right word, intentional approach maybe, or like academic approach, I guess. <laughs> so we have people that you just talked about that are career switchers and they're doing that specific move right now mm-hmm. and, and they're building a portfolio. So how would you help them to get confident to kind of build a use case in their portfolio related to to that specific thing that maybe some people would say, hey, this is not UX. So how can you help them to write it or to make sure that it's communicated in a way that it makes sense for recruiters? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I will send you a link to an article I wrote about writing UX case studies. It's pretty in-depth, so that would be really valuable for your audience. Oh, but that's amazing. <laughs> like. Because your audience is largely writers or aspiring writers, the good news is that when it comes to creating a portfolio, one of the mistakes most people make is they jump right into the design. So maybe you've heard similar questions like, should I make my portfolio in Squarespace or WordPress or what have you? Should I do it in Keynote or PowerPoint or Figma, this, that? And people jump to the design. And we all know what happens when you jump to design is, you know, on any app or website or digital product, right? It ends up in a lot of rework because you skipped over the very important part of kind of defining what you're actually creating. So this is why I tell people the first step in your portfolio is actually writing it. So in Career Strategy Lab, the first thing people do is go into Google Docs and write it out. And we have a really specific structure for writing it. But at a really high level, what we are trying to do is have people not just write in a way where they are just saying, I did this, I did that. So I did user research, I did a survey, because it's kind of just deliverable speak, right? What everyone wants to hear, for example, let's look at research. If you did research, it's not just I did research, but you kind of have to think like a journalist, right? Why did you decide to do that research? Why did you decide to do that research method? Why did you decide to focus on this certain type of person 
Tell me a little bit more about what you did in terms of the execution of that, whether that's number of participants, different software you used, et cetera. And then most importantly, what happened? What did you learn from this research? And I see so many portfolios and resumes that just say like, did a survey with 39 people. That's nice, but there's a lot more to the story than just you did a survey with 39 people, you know? And another mistake I see a lot of people make, and let me know if you've seen this as well, but especially people new to user experience, they kind of have this habit where they like to define UX terminology in their portfolio. So for example, let's say there is a sitemap they made. At the top of the page, it will say, like, I created a sitemap. The purpose of a sitemap is to organize the information on the website, blah, blah, blah. Or same thing with personas, right? A persona is created to help me empathize with the user. And those are examples of what I call like answers to UX exam questions. And the problem is that the user or reader of your portfolio Honestly, it's like a waste of their time to to tell them this. They already know that. I think it's a byproduct of people reusing stuff they did for boot camps, et cetera. But, you know, think of your user. Your user doesn't need you to define, you know, the portfolio shouldn't sound like a textbook, I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Your user, for example, is the recruiter. And we need to think about yes. what the recruiter knows, if it's a technical recruiter or UX recruiter. We don't need to explain common terms to them. We need to think about the person that's actually looking on this portfolio right now. And yeah, just like in any other UX project, that yeah, it shows that you're not very good in UX if you're not showing that you know who is the people that actually going to go through the portfolio. So mm-hmm. understanding who that person might be and then write for him or for her. That would be a very good strategy, definitely. What other kind of challenges do you feel like people have? Like in addition, you said that uh, people have sometimes feel like it feels like they're in a UX exam and not like a UX portfolio. What other challenges do you feel like people that coming for the Career Strategy Lab have these days? Specific to writing, I'm sure we've all seen tweets or medium articles or LinkedIn posts that just give that kind of quick nugget of advice, which is your portfolio should tell a story. But, you know, what does that actually mean? And part of it is doing what we just talked about, right? Going beyond just saying what you did, but explaining how you did it, why you did it, what happened, and some of those details. The other component to me is integrating more kind of storytelling into the portfolio. And I want to go into a little bit of detail about that. But, you know, if you think of all this while you are creating your portfolio, then if you fast forward to the actual job interview you might have where you need to talk through a project, you're going to be much, much more prepared and much, much more confident. And I don't know about you, but when I am working with you know, UX clients, and I have to present some design I created, before I even show the design, I do a little bit of setup or framing. And in that setup or framing, what I'm always trying to do is remind everyone of kind of the business problem, first of all. But second, 
remind people of that user. You know, why is someone on this page? How did they get here? What do they want to do? And I strategically do that because it helps plant a seed in the stakeholders' minds and remind them of that user, right? And doing that, from my experience, helps minimize the risk that people kind of get fixated on the features and what the icon looks like. And remember, does this interface, dashboard, homepage, whatever, meet the needs of, you know, Sam, the user, right? So rewind to our portfolio and storytelling. I think something that's very effective is if you have a project where, you know, you guys did research or identified those users, which hopefully you did, you kind of bring those users or carry those users throughout your portfolio. So here's an example. You know, your user is Sally. And Sally is the owner of a veterinarian office. <laughs> so she needs to have a website that's easy for people to book, you know, appointments for their pets or something. Okay. So maybe there's a screen all about how Sally, the veterinarian, you know, views the schedule or something. I would not just have, here is the dashboard where, you know, the veterinarian views the schedule. I would literally use the phrase like next Sally logs in and it's Monday and she needs to see like, does she have open appointments or is she overbooked, et cetera. So that was very long-winded and I apologize, but I (laughs) I think tying it back to what you would do in a presentation with stakeholders, that's what is also effective in your portfolio. And like a byproduct of all of this, all this stuff I do is really teaching people how to communicate whether it is for their portfolio or even, you know, after you're hired, everything that I teach is so valuable because it will make you a better presenter, more articulate communicator, et cetera. Which is really important for every UX designer to exactly. their work in their product team. I know that like people that work with you in your in the career strategy lab, I just read this tweet about this person that was hired to Blue Origin, which is yes. amazing. I'm so excited. And they had two or three other job offers. I don't know where those jobs were. I haven't connected with them, but yeah, they're very excited. That's amazing. I don't know. I think that my my next uh, adventure in life, like maybe after the UX writing hub, would be (laughs) something related to like space traveling or exploring that kind of things. I don't know if it looks super interesting. So that's exciting for them to work on the UX of a product like a spaceship or the UI of a spaceship. I don't even know, like, it's probably amazing. Can you imagine working on the interface of uh, that, like, I forget the exact name, but that SpaceX capsule. Remember when it went to space a couple of summers ago? It's like a Tesla inside. It's so cool. (laughs) <laughs> right. I know that people that work with you, like something that caught my attention is that you're an expert when it comes to helping people to get better terms, like better salary, better wage. Mm. And we have many people here. So we did a salary survey lately and okay. 50% negotiated their salary. 50% did not negotiate their mm. salary. And in general, it looks like the only thing that will eventually define your salary and if you'll earn, for example, six figures income or not, mm-hmm. is only like the way you strategize and approach that process, the hiring process. It doesn't relate mm-hmm. it even to your skills or anything at all. So in my opinion, 
So my question to you is based on your experience is what will be tips for people to, for example, earn six figures income when they get mm-hmm. a job in UX or improving their own terms, basically? Honestly, I think the number one thing you can do is ask. <laughs> you know, you're not going to increase that job offer, the number, if you don't ask. And years and years ago, I was in the process of getting hired at this startup and I either listened to an interview or read an article with someone in finance and they had this statistic. I cannot remember the exact statistic now, but it was talking about specifically for women, how much money women forfeit over their career by not asking for more money or negotiating. And that number was a very big number. (laughs) And I wish I could remember it, but in this job interview or job negotiation, I said to the recruiter, tell them I want $20,000 more. And he went and told them that. And they said, okay, like there was no counter or anything. (laughs) And so you don't ask if, or you don't receive a higher salary if you don't ask for it. But, you know, I know the next question is probably, you know, how do you ask? What should you ask, et cetera. And I think, You have to ask, but there also has to be kind of the evidence, if you will, throughout everything that came before that ask you're making. So if your portfolio had spelling mistakes or your resume was just kind of sounded like a textbook, you know, that's not really setting you up to come across as a super high value person. So I think we see these salary increases. And when people get hired with us, we say, you know, did you negotiate? And I think a lot of those people are able to get those salary increases. Obviously, this is just, you know, my thoughts. I don't have data around this. I think it's because they're, they've presented themselves in such a way that once they ask, it seems like a no brainer for the companies. Because after people have been hired, they've said to me things like, In the interview, people were taking notes so they could improve their portfolios. Like, that's amazing. Can you imagine the person interviewing you or the panel, like after telling you they were taking notes for their own portfolio? So I think, you know, it's, you have to ask, you have to ask in a strategic way, but you also have to have this kind of stack of evidence to demonstrate you're worth it. That's always a challenge, you know, because I think something that we don't have enough is people have lack of awareness sometimes. Mm. Some of the best people in UX might think about themselves that they're not worthy enough. They have the imposter syndrome. Other people that don't have that stack of evidence might just go all in and say, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to ask to make the ask and let's see mm-hmm. how it goes. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about the first batch of people, people that kind of thinking that, that they don't have that stack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Do you have like some kind of an objective way to look at things and see, okay, how can I see right now how much do I work for? How can I make that ask eventually? So I think part of the issue in our industry is People, and this roots back to imposter syndrome, people compare themselves to other people, but they don't do it with the right context. So by that, I mean, 
people compare, people see an amazing portfolio or a resume and they freak out and they think mine isn't good enough. And for all these reasons, but they don't know, like, has that person that whose resume they're comparing themselves to, has that person been working for 10 years or do they specialize in visual design? Therefore, maybe their resume looks slightly better or something. Same thing with the portfolio. So I think, first of all, there's this element of comparison, but I bring that up because I think it also goes into people comparing salaries. And I think that, you know, salaries vary from country to country and from city to city in each country, you know? And so I think we see these articles and Instagram posts and YouTube videos, people saying, I became a UX designer in, you know, 12 weeks and got hired for six figures and I never worked in tech before. Well, that's great, but that person might live in, you know, San Francisco and that is a completely different situation than for someone in a different part of the world where maybe like a salary of six figures is almost unheard of because that's like how their society works, you know? And so I think UX people need to kind of like remember the context, right? Context is what we do, but somehow we forget about that. And I think that honestly fuels a lot of this imposter syndrome stuff. So the tip would be put yourself in the right context. Don't compare yourself to other people. Make sure that, you know, uh, it's difficult, you know, in the in the age of social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of it compare is. All the time. Like I can go to LinkedIn and get depressed and think to myself, oh, these people are way more successful than I mm-hmm. do. And how can I do that and stuff? I think part of it too, you know, thinking about the people in Career Strategy Lab and thinking of their kind of before and after state, right? You know, I'm a researcher. I'm constantly like thinking about these people and looking at what they do. And I, once someone gets hired, I go back to like look at their journey from when they first joined and what they did. And one of the interesting things is a lot of people come in in this state of, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough confidence. I don't think I have the skills to go to that next level in my career, et cetera. And I can confidently say that once people go through the exercise of optimizing their resume and optimizing their portfolio, they get that confidence back. And they get that confidence back because in the act of doing that, learning how to articulate what they do and their skills and experience, they realize like the amazing impact and depth of their experience. And I think because so many people, you know, this, this all goes back to writing, which is great for your audience because so many resumes and so many portfolios scratch the surface. And if you just say, you know, I did user research for whatever. That's great. But after I have conversations with people, I might learn, okay, they did research and it was 200, you know, people. And that research impacted this part of the product, which then resulted in this amazing business, you know, impact, whether that's more revenue or less time for customer service to answer questions or what have you. And so, Because 
so many resumes and portfolios have such a very narrow presentation of what people did. Once they zoom out and learn how to talk about what they did, how they did it, and that impact, my hunch is that that is what gives them that confidence, you know? But sometimes, like, I get it. Sometimes I even, like, doubt things all the time. But once you step back, I think that's where that confidence comes from that so many people who get hired tell me they have, you know? Right. With the food comes the appetite. And once, you know, the focus is there, you're all about optimizing yourself towards better career. So yeah, it's only a matter of a mindset, basically. Yeah, it's mindset. And then it's seeing on paper, you know, what you did and realizing, wow, that thing I worked on, it really had an impact in the business, you know, or wow, I didn't just like do a survey. I did a survey for 500 people. And then I did all this analysis, et cetera. So yeah, a large part of it comes back to just learning how to communicate what you do, why you did it, et cetera, and not settling for these very surface level style bullet points, et cetera. Such a great tip. That's amazing. Thank you. That was amazing. The other thing, you know, you made me think of something on my to-do list for this week is to write a little email to my list about imposter syndrome. And the gist of the email, the outline that is in my head is, I want everyone to not use the word imposter syndrome for one week and see what happens. And when that thought, I'm an imposter, whatever it is that thought is, when that thought comes into your head, I want people to dig deeper and like identify what that thought or feeling actually is. Because I think a lot of people throw around the phrase imposter syndrome so much, but like, what does that actually mean? You know? So maybe for some people, it feels like you aren't confident enough. Maybe for other people, it feels like you're not valued. Maybe for other people, it's specific enough, you know, such as I'm not good enough at visual design, you know? But I, I think it would be a very ex- interesting experiment for people when they are on the verge of using the word imposter or thinking that, like replace that with a different word. Because I think then it makes it more actionable to be able to think, okay, like what can I do about this situation? You know, anyway, this could be a terrible idea, but I think there's something to it. So we'll see what if people reply to my email when I tell them to go do this. I'm taking your idea. I would say about myself on a personal level that when I compare myself on social media, which is Uh something I often do, I don't say to myself about myself in my head, you are an imposter. I just think to myself, I'm not good enough. I'm thinking this person is better than me. I'm thinking to myself, this person achieved more than I do. Or I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to achieve that amount of success in my life. And so on. If I'm talking about like job interviews or something like that, I might be less confident about the process. Maybe I don't know enough. Maybe mm-hmm. they know so much and, and I would look like an amateur next to the other candidates and so on. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, I wouldn't use the term imposter per se, but I would just have very negative thoughts and low self-esteem or low confidence toward myself. Yeah. So maybe 
I would write something to your audience, like if I were you, something about try to find specifically those moments when you have like a negative thought about yourself mm -hmm. and then see like, wait, why did this specific thought jump into your head at that specific moment? Be conscious to it. If it's about social media and you saw someone else's success, put yourself in context and understand, is this person, as you said, do I have the right context here? Did this person achieve? Like, I'm, he's in San Francisco. I'm in Bulgaria right now. Whatever, I'm just mm -hmm. saying. So, of course, we're not, we don't have the same even circumstances. We can't compare each other. And it's really easy in this crazy internet environment to compare ourselves on a daily basis, right? I just compared myself to you. I saw that you have like 25,000 followers <laughs> on Twitter with uh -huh. like a V. And I told myself, I would never write as good as this person right now oh because, I, because I don't manage to get my audience leverage on Twitter. And mm -hmm. it's just a thought, you know, I had that thought. But, you know, it's just... You know, when I need to think to say, oh, Yuval, remember, you're a good writer. The fact that Sarah is such a fantastic author doesn't mean that you're not good <laughs> and so on. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that example because I, I think this is a great use case, you know? So you were thinking this and then how do we kind of solve this? So really we have to apply some user research to this or just research, right? And understand the context. Well, I've been on Twitter since 2007 or six or something like that. I wow. don't know when you joined Twitter, but I've been there a while, right? And for all you know, like maybe I don't even write my tweets. Maybe I have someone write them for me. Full disclosure, I write my own tweets, but- <laughs> I'm like, sure you write your own tweets. You could compare yourself to someone else and they could have a copywriter writing their tweets. You know, you have no idea. And so- right. That's a good example of thinking, okay, well, how long has this person been on Twitter? You know, did they pay to get followers along the way? Or, you know, I don't even know how to do that, but I know people do it. So that's a great example. And yes, it's so much easier said than done because when those thoughts of comparison come in, I, to me, it's almost like quicksand, you know, like that sticky mud and you can't get out. But I think the key for me, at least, when I can be more mindful and notice that I am getting pulled into these negative thoughts, like, how do I get out so I can spend less time in this state of panic or comparison? Because the longer I stay in that state, you know, the worse it gets. So identify when you're going down that path and then we have to figure out how to get out of it. And I think the getting out is kind of exactly what we did, like reset, look at the big picture and like understand reality, you know? I know, definitely yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, great use case just right here. Live use case by go. Sarah Goody. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel less like an imposter now. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, so I have some ideas, but how do you think we should name this episode? I think that there's something around the idea of how writing is a timeless skill for your career that you should always be developing because it serves you in so many situations, right? Like, whether it's writing your resume, your LinkedIn headline, writing a email portfolio. to ask for more money, a portfolio. Yeah. So for me, it would be something along like 
why writing is the most important skill a UX designer can have or something like that. And I wrote this article, I'll send it to you. I mean, it was probably over 10 years ago, but it was titled something along the lines of like, why designers must write. And it kind of is along this topic. So I'll send it to you, but I don't know what the exact title is, but that's the theme. Like why writing is this super valuable skill. It's maybe it's something like why writing is a superpower for your UX career. How about that? That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I could agree more because when I just started out as a UX designer a few years ago, like what made my career basically in one year, I did a transition from graphic design to UX design. And I just wrote articles for Medium. To be honest, it was SEO. So Google kind of put them. And, and then, I don't know, I was just comparing prototyping tools because I was like, I wasn't sure what should I use now. And I wrote about it. And then like millions of people saw it. And then I got yeah. offers from huge companies. And I was like, oh shit, writing is like an amazing skill. And I should mm-hmm. definitely do more writing. And somehow yeah. the UX Running Hub and whatever I'm doing right now, it's kind of like the evolution of that idea of how important it's writing to our career. I love that story. And you reminded me in the early, early part of my career, as I was teaching myself about this, I thought I need a blog because everyone had blogs and I didn't know what to write about. So I would kind of write responses to articles. And for me, like writing was a way to solidify what I was learning, but also. When I think back to different points in my UX career where I really feel like I leveled up to just use kind of a a vague term there, but it really happened because of writing. So a really specific example is 2012, I believe. So uh, 10 years ago, maybe earlier, I wrote an article about why we need storytellers in product development. And... It was on my blog and then people started to email me about it and say how cool it was. So I thought to myself, I'll see if UX Magazine wants to publish this. So I wrote them, like pitched this article and they published it. And when they published it, that article went viral on Twitter. And at the time I was using TweetDeck and I remember just sitting on my couch in my apartment in New York City, seeing my name just like keep coming up. And I was like, oh man, like, what did I do? (laughs) But as a result of that article, I had like the chief technology officer of Pixar, like the animation studio, reach out to me, want to talk about this, have this phone call. Like we exchanged emails for a long time. I had people from Fast Company, all these places. And that was kind of a domino for a lot of other things that happened in my career. And so, you know, writing is so valuable for learning, but also, you know, in comparison to tweeting or posting on Instagram, writing long form content has a much longer life than a tweet or an Instagram post, you know? So I think it's a really timeless skill that can be really valuable in your career. I agree. All right. So Dodi, thank you so much. It was amazing to have you. Thanks for having me. I love that we finally got to meet in person, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, it was above all of my expectations. It was amazing. Thank you.
Thank you. And thank you, your, our fantastic audience, for sticking in for another episode of Writers in Tech brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. Definitely want to recommend you to check our free UX Writing course on our website, uxwritinghub.com. Uh, my name is Yuval. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub and the author of the courses in the UX Writing Hub website. I also recommend you to check Sarah's Duty website, the Career Strategy Lab. There is really cool case studies about how to strategize your UX career or, and your career in general, basically. So that's awesome. And that's about it. Thank you and see you on the next episode. Bye.